0: And welcome back to the Survive Skills Soar podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. Just a couple of quick reminders. This show comes in two formats. Real Talk, where it's just me and the mic, sharing with you things that are happening in this world and how they can impact your business. And then there's Success Talks, where I have the honor and privilege to interview people at the top of their respected industry, and they share with you what has made them successful. And today is a Success Talk. I'd like to welcome to the show Jackie Fisher. Before we jump into the interview, share a little bit about her. Her journey began early in her family's business, and she is sure her parents might have broke some child labor laws. Jackie, that happened in my family, too. After her father had a stroke, Jackie stepped in to take over her parents' moving business in 2003. Under her leadership, she skyrocketed its annual revenue from $3 million to $40 million. Jackie Day's debut book, The Growth Paradox, is available on Amazon, and she introduces a unique management strategy for scaling small business. Welcome to the show, Jackie.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm really excited about this conversation today. Um, It kind of sounds like you had a background that I had. You You grew up in a home of entrepreneurs. Tell me about how you got here today. Give me a little history and background.
1: So I I grew up and probably one of the biggest skills I learned from childhood is how to be scrappy, Uh, growing up poor and trying to figure out how to do things with not a lot um, makes you scrappy. Um, We moved down here from Illinois. I'm from a small farming community and we moved down to Houston because we heard there were amazing opportunities here. Unfortunately, we arrived in the early 80s and there was like an oil boom and a housing or oil crash and a housing crash. So things were kind of dicey when we got here. So it wasn't what we thought it was gonna be, but we dug in and we made it work. My dad started a furniture building company and that went out of business. And then he was stuck with a junky old delivery truck and a stack of bills. And rent to pay, and from there, um, we put an ad in the green sheet. I was twelve at the time. He put an ad in the green sheet and started moving furniture at age fifty years old, um, hoping to make just a little bit of money to pay the rent, and ended up growing a very nice moving company. Um, He it was in two thousand and three that he had a massive stroke. And by then I was out of the house and I had two young children and he asked me if I'd come back and help him in the business for a few weeks. And that turned into a few months. And um, after about a year of working with him, I realized that I really loved business, but I really didn't like working with my dad because we butted heads pretty hard. And, um, I told, I, I quit my job, but, um, About a week after I quit my job, the drivers on the trucks, the movers went to my dad and they had a yellow invoice and they all signed their name on the yellow invoice. And they gave that invoice to my dad and they said, we would like your daughter to come back to work for us and to run the moving company. And so he came to me and asked me if I would do it. And I said, under one condition, if you sell the company to me. And so he sold the company to me. Um, I could not get financing for it. Um, the banks would have been crazy to loan me money. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't, I really didn't know anything about business. I had a lot of enthusiasm, but that doesn't get you far with a banker. Um, and so my dad financed it for me for 15 years. Um, and so that's how I got in business. And actually, um, on the video, you can see that, that, uh, picture right there is, is actually it's that one, that one right there. Is the invoice that they all signed their name on, and my parents signed their name on and uh, had it framed for me. So when I come into the office every day, I know why I'm here and who I'm working
0: for. yeah you know, what a, what an amazing story on on how you how you stepped into that. And you know I want to ask you a question. Was that something necessarily, you know, we talk about having vision boards and looking to the future and kind of imagining, you know, envisioning where we're going. Was that even on the radar initially?
1: Running a moving company is like the most unsexy job you can possibly imagine. I never thought I'd be doing it. Um, it is not something I ever wanted to do. It is not something I ever thought I would be happy to do, but I'm doing it and I absolutely love what I do. So it's just sometimes life takes you in a, a different direction. And I think a lot of times, you know, we run these companies that are unsexy businesses. They're they're successful, but they're not they're not like a plumbing company company. I mean, that's not super exciting. But you get into it because you like helping customers, you like the people. So it's not it it's like the in the service or the product becomes less important and it's more about the people. And for me that that was the case.
0: Yeah I had a I had a mentor once tell me that the money is in the monotonous you know it's in the the day-to-day things. And at, at the end of the day, it's much bigger than that. It's it's the people.
1: It's the people.
0: That's that's incredible. So you took this business that was doing three million annually to 40 million, and we're gonna have a conversation today about scaling. Like what what happened? That is an amazing transformation.
1: I think that there's some different pro. Phases in business. And so I think when you first get into business, you're just trying to make a buck and you're scrappy and you got your head down and you're working really hard. And then you reach a point where the business starts making money and you have a choice to make at that time. You can either have a lifestyle business and you become complacent with where the business is. It's generating enough money to take care of you, maybe to put your kids through private school um, and you get your family vacations and so forth. And so you can kind of become complacent with that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's an okay thing. Um, That's what business should be for, uh, making enough money to make, make it so that you're able to take care of your family. However, if you want to grow your business, you've got to be willing to take risks. And that puts you out of that comfort zone. And so you, if you want to scale your business, the first thing you need to do is understand that you're going to have to take some risks to take your business to, to the next level. And you're going to have to be okay with getting uncomfortable again. It's almost like a startup phase again. You have to get uncomfortable again to take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, so the, the growth comes in doing the things that are uncomfortable.
1: Absolutely. And um, and taking risk and getting uncomfortable with failure. Um, So that would be the first thing. And and then like Google, um, you know, when you're trying to figure out where you're going, um, you have to enter two things in Google. You have to enter where you are now and where you want to go. So you have to assess who you are now as a person and who's on your team. And then you have to know and have a very clear vision of where you want your company to be in five or 10 years from now. And then you have to understand if you have the goods to get yourself there. Um, Part of that is looking in the mirror. Um, I used to have a business mentor that said, you're perfect just the way you are, but you're not perfect. You know, you don't have everything it takes to run this business you're going to have to figure out your weaknesses and either train and try to get better at those things or better yet hire people on your team that help you mitigate those weaknesses. So it's about building that team to get you where you want to go.
0: So initially when you started scaling, did you have to make some adjustments on the team to, to fill some of those places where maybe you were weak so that you could take it to the next level?
1: Absolutely. And not just, I mean, not just adjustments with their skills. I also had to make sure I had everybody that um had the same um that had the same values I had. My dad, he was a great guy, and our values overlapped, but he valued different things than I did. And there were some people that were his style, you know, and understood his style of leadership. And some of those people had to go and I had to bring in my own people um for example my dad was very aut- autocratic he liked to yell a lot um he he was uh, a, a big risk taker so he he had more of a, a startup mindset with me I was very peaceful very calm um I didn't like any voices raised um I was I, I just ha- had this environment that I felt more comfortable in and the people who didn't fit that environment they had to go and, I mean, it's sad to say, but, you know, they had to find a, com- a company where they fit the environment.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a hard thing too to step, step into yet, yet necessary, not, and not just for the business, but for those other people as well is, is helping them realize that maybe they're not, you know, there's, there's a great book called the energy bus. Maybe, maybe they're not on the right seat. Maybe they've got to be moved around, or maybe they're not even supposed to be on the bus
1: yeah and and sometimes you know we talk about employees and we talk about employees being good or bad and what i find is most of the time it's not a case of being good or bad it just is a case of being the right fit i mean we all have had employees that don't show up on, on to work on time or maybe they have a horrible attitude but but besides those most most employees i think are trying to do the best they can and i've had uh an employee that works for me that he was great but he wasn't a great fit for our company he ended up getting a job at a different company and he excelled. I mean, he made it into upper management and he was just a really good fit for that company. So I, I see it more as a fit rather than good or bad.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's for those that are listening to the podcast today. I I, I re- really appreciate that um, because most of the time they are good people. just not not the right fit for where you're going to go. And, um, Absolutely. and those are tough decisions, aren't they?
1: Absolutely. They're the hardest decisions we make. And if anyone says that they enjoy firing somebody, they're, they're, they they're have to have psychopathic tendencies or something, because that's just, I think it's probably the number one hardest decision uh, uh, owners of companies make. And it's a decision that often they wait too long to make. And in the time they they mentally make the decision to actually doing it, a lot of bad things can happen. And that's where you get employees that are disengaged and they're unhappy and you get a lot of toxic work environments. Um, But I also think that um, I've been in a business group before where I would hear some of the executives complain about their employees and they would say, uh, you know, in, in frustration, they would say, oh, man, my employees are such idiots. I'm like, ah, you know, I mean, to me, I have a visceral response to that. That hurts me to talk about employees that way. I understand their frustration. However, if an employee is showing up every day and they're getting paid um their their wage and they're doing substandard work, then it doesn't seem like the employee is the idiot. It seems like the person who's paying them and keeping them employed. That's the idiot so if if you ever look at an employee um, and you're frustrated with them and they're not doing their job and it's been like that for years something's got to change
0: that's um, yeah, a's a pointing at somebody and realizing there's three other fingers pointing back at you
1: yeah yeah and I mean if you want to take your business to the next level you can't win the Super Bowl with a bunch of C level players. Most of it of scaling your business is just getting the right people on, on your team. Like you're the rudder on the boat and you're guiding that boat where it needs to go. And they're the engine. And if you have like an engine that's falling apart, that boat's not going to go very far.
0: And I think it's a culture thing too, right? If, if you're, if you're having that type of mindset about your employees, I imagine that the people around you feel that.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's why you, you hear the old adage, um, hire slowly, fire quickly. Because if you keep somebody on your team that you're frustrated with and they can see and feel that you're frustrated with them and they can't do their job right, that is no fun to be. I mean, nobody wants to work in an environment where they don't feel safe, appreciated, and um, they don't feel like they belong. They feel like they're an outsider. Um, everybody deserves to feel good at work and go home and feel like they accomplished something.
0: So I, I share a lot with my business coaching clients that, that there's three things to scale. It's people, systems, and and tools. So we may have a bunch of people listening today that, that don't have an organization your size yet. They want to go that direction. Is there uh, for the solopreneur, is there a yeah. first step for them? Is it people, is it tools, is it systems or what is it in your world that you would suggest?
1: So I, I know a lot of solopreneurs, and the biggest thing, I think, is hiring that first employee, um, because, again, what we were talking about earlier is you have to get com- comfortable with making sacrifices. When you hire that first employee, you're going to have to pay them, and their pay is coming out of your paycheck. So a lot of times, people don't want to hire that first employee to scale because they they want to protect their paycheck you're gonna have to take a pay cut if you wanna scale your business. And even company my size, um, I take home the profits. If I wanna scale, I might have to add a um, uh, a new computer system that's gonna cost a half million dollars to install. That's coming from somewhere, it's coming from me. But I know if I wanna scale my company, I'm going to have to make investments like that. So again, what we were talking about earlier is getting uncomfortable you, if you're going to scale, you have to get uncomfortable. You have to be willing to make that, um, sacrifice and make that pay cut. I think, um, usually when you're a solopreneur, you hire somebody that either does more of what you do or more of what you don't like to do. Um, so if you're out there in the sales, you hire somebody that's more admin, or if you're more admin, you hire somebody to hit the floor and then get out there and sell. Um, the book I wrote talks about that, and it talks about hiring your first few people and how to set that up. But I think if you create a um, a plan, so say you, you're thinking, I want to be, say you're a million dollar company and, and say you want to be a three million dollar company in the next five years. Well, you write the years out. And I always write how old I am now and how old I'll be in five years. And I I do that as a trick just to get my brain ready for it. You know, I'm like, okay, by the time I'm this age, I'm going to be, you know, making 3 million. And then I look at how many leads I need to get. And I create this Excel spreadsheet and I call it backcasting. So I write how many leads I need to get, how many salespeople I need to get, um, how much warehouse space do I need to have, how much office space. And I work the way down the spreadsheet to really understand my resources, the people who I have on my team now that can run a $1 million a year company, are they going to be able to run a $5 million a year company or a $10 million a year company, you know, as you project forward. Um, and then it helps you start um, adding people to your team because it's part of a plan. You're not just, oh, I'm busy. I need to add somebody, you know, once I hit this amount, I'm going to hire this person. And when I hit this amount, I'm going to hire another person. And so you've really built yourself a, a, a guide, a guideline of how you're going to scale instead of just reactionary hiring. And reactionary, when you hire just to solve a problem, um, a lot of times you spend, overspend and, and it causes more issues.
0: Yeah, you hire the wrong person, right? It's, it's not the hire slow. You're your yeah, you're drivers. desperate. You,
1: you're like, yeah, yeah, you're plugging holes.
0: And, and I think that's really important what you just shared there. And for you that are listening today uh, to this podcast or watching the the YouTube video is you've you've got to have a plan. And this is a great time of year to talk about that. If you don't have a plan, it's, you know, it's going to that point A and point B and not knowing how to get there. Uh, I think that's a really important point you shared there, Jackie
1: even something as silly as um say you have a 10-year plan and you're going to grow to 10 million dollars and um on part of that plan has to be how big is my warehouse you sign you sign a 10-year lease for the warehouse that fits your company now and now you're having to sublease space and i I hear about it all the time i know you're in real estate you probably hear about this stuff too people have to sublease space because they ran out of space but if they had created a plan They would have known like "Mm, maybe I should sign a five year lease because at this year I'm supposed to double in business and I don't have the space for it at this facility. So it's about taking all of those things into account when you um, create your growth plan.
0: That's great information. I want to switch it up a little bit, but stay, stay with scaling is what is the mindset you have to have to scale?
1: I think that. One of the biggest things is um, letting go of the fear of failure. I think uh, when we we think of failure, we think of it as the opposite of success. And instead of thinking it as the opposite of success, we should just think of it as part of the process. And not only for the business owner themselves, but for the employees. When you're running a startup and money's tight, you become very afraid of costly mistakes. And so a lot of times you don't allow employees to make decisions and you don't allow them to make mistakes. In order to grow as leaders, they need to be empowered to make decisions and they need to be comfortable with making mistakes. And that's really, really scary for a small business owner. Um, However, if an employee makes a mistake and you lose your cool with them, which I see a lot of small business owners, they kind of go crazy and get really upset, um, they're gonna stop making decisions. And so every time they need something, they're gonna go to you and they're gonna ask you questions. And you know those people when you're on a vacation with a group of friends and there's always that guy has to walk out of the restaurant with their cell phone 10 times because their employees are calling them, asking them kind of stupid questions, things that they could probably decide on their own um, because they're too afraid they're going to make a mistake and they don't want to get yelled at. Nobody likes to get yelled at. So if you can't leave your company for a week or two, then you're not on the right path of growing your business. Your employees should be empowered enough to handle the day-to-day operations of your business.
0: All right. So it sounds like it's with people, you know, making the mistakes, it's a it's a permission based thing from the leader. And it's also it's as a leader, though, that means doesn't mean that you shouldn't inspect what you expect.
1: Absolutely. For. um, If you don't want to micromanage them, then you set up processes so that you know that they're on the right track. And part of those processes are establishing key indicators for individuals and departments. And if you think about it in a way that um, if you're on a deserted island and you could only have a couple of numbers texted to you about your company and how your company was doing, what would those numbers be? How, How would those numbers help you understand your business and whether or not your business was okay? And I travel a lot. Um, and I, I tell people that the best way to achieve work-life balance is to have an empowered team, bar none. That's the best way. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, if your team is empowered and they feel like they can make decisions, um, in your absence, then you can travel all over the world and you don't have to worry about having your phone blown up. Um, and it's funny because I see a lot of small business owners that um, have companies with six people and they're going crazy. I mean, they're working like all the time and their phone's blowing up. And then you see um, Bezos, who has one of the largest, most logistically complicated companies in the world, and he he's literally getting shot into outer space. So he's able to leave the earth and the company is a well-oiled machine. And that's because he set up the processes and the people and he's empowered those people to make decisions. You would think that it would be counterintuitive because we all know the more people we have, the more problems we have. Um, but usually once you scale, you have the processes in place to be able to go on vacation and not have your phone blow up. Um, and it's how you respond to um mistakes if a, if an employee does something that's not what you would have done um i always ask them well, like what made you make that decision and a lot of times they're like oh well that's based on our core values our core values are xyz and that's why i made that decision i can't argue with that i mean i wouldn't have made the exact decision they made but if it's based on our core values and i wasn't there and like, you can't have a process for every little thing in the company. Sometimes they have to make, make a decision on the fly and I support them.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge as a leader too, is that understanding sometimes their mistake is our learning opportunity that, Hey, maybe they were actually onto something. Uh, maybe we should look at that and, and maybe rethink it or look at it through a different lens.
1: Absolutely. And you know, what I found is if I ask them questions about it, um, so they come in and they say something happened and we did X, Y, Z. And I'm thinking to myself, like the old me would have said, why would you do that? You know, and the new me is like, why would you deal with that? You know, tell me more, walk me through your thinking process. And then they tell me and they're on the front lines. They have much more information than I have. And once they walk me through the process, More times than not, I absolutely agree with their decision. But my knee-jerk reaction is usually not based on the information that I have.
0: And as a leader, do you have to go out and seek that information?
1: Usually, it's just a conversation with the person. Um, Also, you know, if you find that your people are too reliant on you for advice, uh, when they come in and they want to ask you a question, don't give them the answer. Don't be the answering booth. Ask them what they would do in that situation. Ask them to walk you through why they did that and try to mentor them to coming up with solutions on their own instead of just saying yes or no. And it's easier just to say yes or no. Uh, when they come in, oh, what should we do about this? Oh, do this or call him or, you know, it's it's so much easier to just give them the answer. But long term, you're creating um, a dependency on you. To be hooked into the day-to-day operations, and that's what you don't want to do if you want to scale your business.
0: Yeah, in my my former uh, life, I was I managed large real estate companies, you know, that had three four hundred people, and I'd watch how one leader did exactly that. They would come in and try to answer everything, and I would ask the question, "Well, what, what would you do?" And nine times out of ten, they were just simply looking for affirmation. They they had Absolutely. the right answer. And, uh, and it got my time back.
1: And think about it. If you tell them what to do and they make a mistake, it's on you. So it's much safer for them to come and ask you questions and It feels good for you, too, because if you walk in and there's a line at the door and everybody wants to talk to you, a lot of people kind of get off to that. They like that feeling of feeling needed and wanted and they feel helpful and they feel like their person, the man or the woman of the hour where everybody needs them. I personally don't don't need that. Um, I want to go on vacation with my family and I don't want my phone to blow up. And so I have tried to create an environment where they don't feel like they need to do that. And then I have a weekly one-to-one with my team once a week. Um, I have an hour with each person on my leadership team. That's sacred time. And what I've noticed is they, instead of coming into my office all day long, they they kind of store it up. And so that one hour is when they kind of hit me with all their questions or things they need to know. Because most of the time they don't need to know it right now. It can wait a week. I mean, if, if they do need questions now, they can come in. But what I found is most of the time we can settle it in that one hour a week.
0: This is such great information. For those that are that are tuning in, you're getting a treat today of listening to a person that has gone out and scaled a, a massive business. I, I could sit here and talk for hours with you because I love this type of stuff. Um, but I do want to jump into your your book. Uh, you have a book that's available on Amazon, The Growth Paradox. Tell, tell the audience about this.
1: Um, so I, I was coming up to my 20th year in business and when I was in my Vistage group, um, and that's a group of businesses that get together and they get mentorship. And I noticed how some of the businesses were growing really fast and other businesses were, became stagnant. And I decided to write a book on the differences I saw in the ones that grew and the ones that stayed stagnant. And so um, I wrote a guidebook on how to scale your business. And it's a step-by-step book on putting the infrastructure and the processes in place and um, creating an accountable team um, and building the systems to scale your business. And when I took it to the publisher, at first they were like, what's your one big idea? And I said, that's not what the book's about. When you grow your business, it's not one big idea. If it was one big idea, we'd all be doing it. And we'd all be phenomenally successful. I said, uh, growing your business is, is multidimensional. It's complicated. And so that's what the book addresses, all the different factors um, to grow your business. It is available on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. And um, I have a book signing next week, which I don't know what day it is, but it's at Brazos Bookstore in Houston.
0: Okay, And I'll make sure that for those that are listening, I'll get details on that. Make sure you get that out and you can stop by and actually, actually meet Jackie. It is you-
1: on, it's on Audible, too. So if you don't like to read and you like to commute and listen to cars or um, listen to books in your car, it is on um,
0: Audible. And if you're in Houston, you're commuting a lot typically, so you could get in a lot of book time. Um, if you And if y'all are listening to this today and you like what you've heard, you're, you're in that position now, maybe you're a solopreneur, maybe you have a small team and you're just ready, you're eager to go to the next level, I'm going to highly recommend uh, that you connect with Jackie and also go get this book, The Growth Paradox. I think it's going to serve you and your business well. And if you have family, it's going to serve them well because- it's going to give you the tools and the things necessary to go build a nice business and also to be able to take that time to weigh away, um, just like like Jackie said. So thank you, Jackie, for sharing that. Um, now, you run a pretty big moving business, and it's all across Texas. Tell us about that moving business and how people can connect with you if they need your services.
1: Well, yeah. Um... The business is all about the guys out in the field, and it's that's, that's my secret sauce. I have the best guys. They've been um, with me for a long time. A lot of the guys who signed that paper back there are still with me. Um, I consider them business partners. I work for them. They don't work for me. Um, and I think just that dynamic and that shift change from your traditional moving company is what makes our moving company what it is. Um, we do, uh, probably do about 37,000 moves this year. Um, and this was a very slow year with the housing rates being down, um, or the, that house sales being down, the interest rates being up. Um, and you can reach us at 713-333-MOVE. And we have, um, storage containers as well, where we can bring the storage container out to you fill it up and store it for you. And you call us and we'll bring it back to you. So we, we're we a full service company. We offer moving package, packing and storage.
0: And I'm going to drop a link down in the description of this video. It'll also be in the notes uh, for the podcast. It's three men movers uh, based here in Houston, but what what's the service areas?
1: Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. And we do a lot of those short hauls around the state and we do do the surrounding states too.
0: Great. Well, Jackie, thank you for being on the show today. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be able to share with our audience and just provide a lot of value for those that are thinking about scaling their business today. They don't need to be afraid of it. Uh, there, are, There is a proven system. You laid out in your book and you gave a few nuggets to get started today. So thank you for doing that.
1: Thank you so much, Jeremy.
0: All right. Until next time, onward and upward. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com.